0: We can have a broader tent where we agree on these essentials and on some of these other issues we can say hey we allow you to be gracious but if you go against what the bible says that's where we'll speak up This is the NPC, Nameless Podcast of Castleberry. I'm Matt West. I'm here with Pastor Travis.
1: Good morning, everyone. Looking forward to this great day.
0: We're in kind of a series of things where we're doing them that are more time-sensitive. And one of the things we wanted to talk about was the convention. But we don't want this to turn into like just an intramural discussion where we talk about people we disagree with, maybe people we agree with. And frankly... If one of the listeners happens to be something other than Southern Baptists, they don't feel as if they're involved. So we also know that the PCA, our friends of the PCA, recently had their assembly, I think they call it, the, the Synod of Lutherans have met recently. So because we believe in the autonomy of the local church, we, you say, well, it doesn't matter as much for you because you can do whatever you want. So we're going to try to say things that are going to be beneficial for all. And now that I've talked all that amount of time, There were undoubtedly some good things that happened, and there were undoubtedly some things that we would see as bad. But I know you have some quibbles. What was your biggest
1: negative takeaway from the convention? Well, I didn't get to go to the convention this year, but I really would love to have been there. My biggest takeaway, the quibble, quibble, the word quibble. Two syllables, (laughs) man. It's big time. My biggest quibble to the Southern Baptist is that we're trying to be too much like the world. I mean, it's all about politics. It's conservative. It's liberals. It's moderates. You know, let's just be believers and serve Christ that way. And I know each terminology has a position where you stand on certain things. But we've come and taken it and placed it so many times so close to what the world is doing is that, you know, the media portrays it just as if it was a political arena out there. And I don't want to be that way. I want to be able to serve Christ and we do things according to scripture.
0: To me, you hit on what I found is the biggest negative and and it dovetails a little bit. The reporting... From specifically non-Christian media, to me it was terrible. Because as you said, they are treating it like it's just another political thing. And part of that is what we do. No matter what denomination you are, if you're going to your assembly or your denomination meeting, or if you're too snooty to call it a denomination and you want to call it a fellowship, and your fellowship is internally debating. Anytime you do that, and it appears in many ways like the world, And then the media covers it as if it's like the world Mm -hmm. and starts picking sides. And I just know I Like You was not there, but I was following it a little bit. And I would get updates from newspapers, like emailed to Uh me. And I'd read it and I'd be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, that didn't happen. That's not what happened. So, yeah, the fact that we are in some respects mirroring the world is not just negative for internally. It's not just thwarting our ability to accomplish things. It is Also, hurting the testimony and the way we're reported on is is very similar to like a Republican National Convention or a Democratic National Convention or another convention, except they cover it as if there's a lot of internal strife. And doubtlessly there was, but it's frustrating that the picture that is portrayed to the outside world is one of conflict.
1: You touched on a point earlier about the church is autonomous. The Southern Baptist passes regulations and rules, but the church itself, we don't have to follow those rules if we don't want to. This is for just a guideline of help and aid a church to stay more on target on what they're supposed to be doing. So it's important for us to have that. But then again, as a Southern Baptist, if we're not going to believe the way they put the rules down, then we need to get out. And I don't think we should stay in something that we're not believing in. So we need to believe in it. And I know one of the big things that I heard a lot on the media is talking about, oh, this is the largest evangelical gathering in America because we're Southern Baptists. They can make things happen. Well, you know what? I don't want to make things happen. I want to follow God's lead and what he's doing and let's follow him. I don't, and so if we have to be smaller to keep the focus on us, then that's what we have to do. But I don't believe we should just go, Hey, you know, we're the largest evangelical group and we're going to do this or that and everybody's going to follow. That ain't the way it works because a lot of churches ain't going to follow that away. So let's get back to the basics of just following the, the scriptures. And I know I'm a conservative Baptist. I guess, I guess I could put a title on me. I'm a conservative Baptist. Why don't we just quit all of that and say, let's just be what God wants us to be.
0: My son had a birthday this week, and one of the things he wanted to do is watch a series. And in Star Wars, Anakin, who is the wannabe Jedi, is telling the senator that he thinks what should happen is everyone should just sit around and talk about what they think should happen and go from there. And what she says is, that is what happens. It's just we don't all agree on what is better or how to get there. And this is where we're at in the Southern Baptist Convention. Every convention, one of the highlights to me is the reminder of one of the things that makes me proud to be a Southern Baptist, is you have the... IMB, the International Mission Board, and they have a commissioning ceremony at the thing. It is the largest missionary organization in the world. It is something that the money of Southern Baptist churches consistently goes to. And to me, there is no better reason or no better association that I have with being a Southern Baptist than the fact that they're consistently sending out godly people to be missionaries and then at the convention, they're coming, and they're being commissioned, and they're reporting, and it's just a wonderful thing. And that's something we're trying to mirror here at our little church. And we want a focus on missions that is so pertinent, because we're commanded to evangelize not just to Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, but to the uttermost parts of the world. And because of that, I just think that there's something significant about being part of an organization that commissions the most missionaries in the world. And
1: that's part of being the biggest. At the convention, I was uh, watched one uh, program on. You know, they sent out forty-seven missionaries. I believe that's right. Forty-seven missionaries this year got them together. And they, they're sending them up. This is adding to the what they're doing. Young men and women that are going out to the mission field, and they present them there. But and, that, and one of the guys was talking about it. It says the odd thing about it was they were silhouettes. They couldn't even show their identity. They're going into countries yeah. that their lives were to be threatened. So I think that's awesome part of, of being a large group that we're able to do this. But then again, we as this, the local church, we can't lose the focus on missions right here at home also. We have to be doing more missionary work, mission-minded, not only right here in our own community, in our own city, but in our own state. And we need to be able to reach out to people and not just be a building with four walls, but be a, a live, thriving body that's doing God's work. And the Southern Baptist gives us the vehicles to do that with. I mean, the Southern Baptists have so many programs out there that we can connect up with that can help us do these things that we need to do. So I see the, the, the good stuff about being part of the Southern Baptist. And this is true of those
0: who might not be Southern Baptists. Like, we don't want to be like, oh, you can only be Southern Baptist and listen to us. We understand that some people don't agree with us on that. And just because they're incorrect doesn't mean they can't listen. And so <laughs> whatever organization you're part of, missions should be a big component of that. Now, they may not all look like the Southern Baptists. I love the way the Southern Baptist does missions. It's right. one of my favorite parts about proclaiming myself to be a Southern Baptist. But as we said, the PCA met recently. I know the Missouri Synod of the Lutheran Church met within the last couple weeks as well, and I know that they also have missions, and it's a focus. That is one thing that it seems that every denomination that is meeting, or fellowship, or whatever they call it, or presbytery, all of them that are meeting are saying, this is important. This is something we're giving to. This is something we are going to organize, and there are differences, and some of these differences need to be called out. And I get that, but it's great when some of the biggest organizations in the world are saying, this is part of the call we are not going to relent on, and it's fantastic to me. So whatever group you're with, missions, if it's not a big part, then that may be something you want to look at and
1: adjust where you're going. We're talking about the Southern Baptist Convention. There were several different resolutions that were submitted. Gosh, I didn't realize how many that was done there. You know, they have a special process that they go through so many days prior that all the messengers, and now messengers are people from individual churches. They can go online, type in anything letting they them, want. Letting to. them in on the jargon. Yeah, letting yeah. them in on it. And submit uh, whatever they want to submit. And yeah. so they take it and they they nail it all down and they bring it together. It amazed me the operation of how this thing worked. And they brought it down. They ended up putting only 10 resolutions to the floor to be able to be voted on. Out of all the hundreds and hundreds that were sent in, they combined them, they declined a bunch of them also. So basically, but they come down to these 10 and I just thought there were some awesome ones in there. The 10 that was listed, One on here, abolishing abortion, admissions and membership roles and just personnel qualifications, sexual abuse was one. But the main thing is the one that took all the focus of both sides was the CRT. But I thought a theory was what?
0: (laughs) Well, a scientific theory is something that is not proven. The arguments for like, well, we need to understand that race has played a big role in history. And especially when you're a Southern Baptist and it did play a role in the starting of Southern Baptist, you can't marginalize that or say, "Well, that didn't matter at all." by the same token, you're saying, "Well, I don't know that we should talk about it and here's the thing, and this is where I would have liked to have seen something different. You have the leaders of the seminary of the seminaries, I should say, particularly Southern southeastern, they're saying, "Hey, we are training." Pastors, future pastors, future leaders of this denomination. And it is important to understand should we teach future pastors with this as the prism through which we look at everything else? Is critical race theory a biblical theory that needs to cloud everything? Or is it a theory that maybe you teach for a day or two and that's it? Or is it something that you don't teach at all? And for the seminaries, I think it's vitally important for. Them to have direction. Now, this goes back to us as Baptists, we believe in the autonomous nature of individual churches. So for us, it's very weird to think, well, are those schools going to follow what the convention is doing? But to a large degree, they need to. That's where the discussion is more important, is we're going to talk about how do we teach our future pastors, the future leaders of the denomination, those going to seminary in Southern
1: Baptist institutions. What do we do with that? Well, I mean, in teaching critical race theory, it's important to understand that racism has played a huge part in a lot of things in America. But once we go to that point of of putting it on the record and saying, okay, here's how we feel about it. Well, they ended up with a resolution, Resolution 2, and it says, Sufficiency of Scripture on Race and Racial Reconciliation. We therefore reject any theory or worldwide that denies that racism, oppression, and discrimination is rooted ultimately in anything other than sin. So basically racism, and they're saying it's just sin. So scripture handles sin. What does it say? We need to repent from sin, and we need to go on about our business. You know, Quit just sitting here beating this dead horse.
0: (laughs) And this is a philosophy that we would do well, is the Bible needs to be the center point of all our foundation if we want to talk about critical race theory to me the only discussion to have in a philosophical forum such as that one is is this biblical right we talked in the past about different holidays we may or may not recognize different holidays we may or may not celebrate and to me There is some freedom in, okay, what are we going to celebrate and what are we going to do? But there is no freedom in saying, what must our celebrations look like? And it must always point back to scripture. If we are moving forward and someone says, well, why are you doing this? And our reason is something other than scripture, then it's something that needs to be forsaken. And if our reasoning is scripture, then it needs to be continued. And this is where To me, the discussion of critical race theory as a theory, and this is true of everything else, is when it's discussed, it must be, is this biblical? What are the biblical foundations of doing this? And if you think that anything needs to be taught, be it critical race theory or something else, your reasoning should be is because it enlightens our view of scripture. And if you don't think something should be taught, you should say because it harms our view of scripture. And this is where you're saying, well these resolutions, you had resolution 9 which specifically addressed critical race theory and resolution 2, and I don't want to get into the inner murals of what these resolutions are very much because what I want to say is if you're out there discussing anything and I'm not talking about you're just sitting around with friends saying, hey, whatever. But if you're trying to make statements that are going to affect the philosophy moving forward, it must be based in
1: Scripture. And so when we put Scripture and lay it out, because it's important that we follow the Word of God in any decision that we make, whatever we teach, whatever we talk about. So, And then there are several different resolutions that they went forward in the convention. And abortion, for example... There was a resolution that you Now I thought the story behind that was pretty cool. They submitted all these things from Oklahoma all the way up, Texas, and all these pastors sent in, and it was to abolish abortion. And it got to the resolution committee, and immediately they said, wait a minute, we've already answered that question in 1995, so we don't need to worry about it anymore. So they threw it out. Well, they were passionate so much about it that they were able to get enough people at the convention to bring it to the floor, to resubmit it. Well, they did end up submitting the abolish abortion thing. It went to the floor, but it wasn't denied or it wasn't approved. It was kind of gutted a little bit it took some of its punch out. So they're still working on the abolish abortion. But you know what? You know I think Scripture tells us, let your nay be nay and your yay be yay. And if it says you think that, so do you. it does. And so I, I've read need, that, yeah. We need to be exact on what we stand for. We can't go, well, yeah, we believe abortion's wrong, but it's okay if it's done because of this or that. We need as the church to set the standard of, hey, we don't believe in abortion. Now, what individual people go and do, that's between them and their God. But now I need as the church, we need to set the standard and hopefully that more people will follow the standard that we set. The thing I really like is the abortion amendment you were talking about is the language
0: the Dred Scott decision, which is the decision that said that slaves were only three-fifths of a person. That decision was never overturned. It just became moot because people understood it was stupid. And they're like, that's how we need to treat Roe. It's not that we need to overturn it. It should be overturned if it comes up. But we now have the technology and the understanding that that is just an abhorrent position. And this is what I really, really like about what came out of the Southern Baptist Convention, and you're seeing more and more in Christian denominational circles, is the acceptance that it's not just that we need to overturn this decision. We need to recognize that that decision, that court decision, and the accompanying lives that have been lost are the stain on our generation, the reality of our country. And this is sad. And I'm glad to see people say, It's not just that that decision needs to be overturned and we need to work to overturn it. We need to immediately ignore it and show that it's not just like the Dred Scott decision was ignored. Nobody said, oh, we need to say that the African Americans are not worth three-fifths of a person, but a whole person. We should recognize that the unborn are people. We don't need a court decision to back that up. We know what we're doing. And that's why, to me, the amendment that came up, on the Southern Baptist Convention floor that about that, I thought was great, because it had abolitionist language. We could get into the theology of an Esther position, where you are willing to cloak your position, cloak your position, and then hope to turn around at the end. Or the Daniel position, where you're adamant from the beginning that you're not gonna do it. We could talk about ethical decision-making. But to me, yeah, it's just so obvious. Like, that is something we need to immediately do away with if we can.
1: Talking a little bit deeper into that thing, one of the things that they had brought up at the uh, convention was the abortion plus the Hyde Amendment. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm really not familiar with the Hyde Amendment, but it's basically it says it's taxpayers' money that's paying for abortion. Correct. That uh, they don't. But and that there again, that gets us back into being like the world. You know, we're worried about taxpayer money affording it when we should be looking at it and saying, look, whether it's taxpayer's money or anybody else's money, we shouldn't be doing abortions. And so, you know, it gets kind of uh, tough there. And what I liked about the gentleman from, I think it was Oklahoma that presented the program, he didn't give up on it. And even though he didn't get what he wanted, I liked the idea that he fought for what he believed in. And that's something that I, I'd like to see more of the Southern Baptists do. He didn't walk away and, and throw his clipboard down on the floor and says, well, I'm not going to get in. It It was a point that he was trying to make. And it kind of makes me think we are a body of believers, but we are a family of God. You know, like I, I used the old illustration about cutting down the tree in sermon one time, you know, about the old oak tree and the guy cut the tree down. But his father had planted that tree many, many, many years ago. But the church needed to cut it down. He was against cutting it down. But then they they decided the church voted on it. They were going to cut the tree down. And uh, so he was the first person to show up with an axe and a saw. So And people ask, us, well, I didn't think you want to cut this tree down. He says, I don't, but my church does. And that's the way we need to look at a lot of this stuff here. We're still Southern Baptists, and we need to look at everything that's passed here. And it doesn't mean that we have to agree with it, but it does mean that we are one body. And when we talk, we need to be clear.
0: The things that we believe the Bible is firm on, yes, we must be firm on. The things which we think are preferential, the things which we think... This is where God is leading me, maybe slightly different than where he's leading other people. Those things, we want to be gracious. We want to be gracious where God is gracious. Jesus was our example. And when he saw what he believed to be sin, when it was him, it wasn't just a belief. Like when we see things, we believe it to be sin perhaps. But when Jesus saw sin, he called it out. He famously called the Pharisees whited sepulchers. Mm -hmm. You know, outside you look pretty and inside you're filled with dead men's bones. He famously... Threw over the temple for the money changers in the temple who were selling oxen and sheep and doves. And he said, Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. By the same token, when he saw something that was not inherently sin, he showed graciousness. And that to me is our model. So when the convention does something that we think is bad, we need to call it out. We need to fight against yeah. it. One of the things that I walked away and I've re- I read several articles of people who went, people who followed it, because, you know, I care. And one of the things was the guy said, you know, I-, I walked away thinking, oh my goodness, it was a 52 to 47 vote. And that, like, that's not great to think, ah, we're split almost 50-50. And both sides had plenty of pot shots and sarcasm, he said. There was lots of pandering, punching, you know, not literal punching, but going at that. And yes... That is all true. And I don't know if you're familiar with the old school Southern Baptist strategy of, we have a church vote, and we vote one way or the other. It's 30 to 29. And then the guy who's leading the mean says, do you want to make it unanimous? And so then everyone votes the way so they can record it was a unanimous vote. That doesn't really do anything for me. If, if you're going to walk away depressed, that was 52%, 47% say, oh, that's a split crowd. Well, if we would have had another vote where everyone voted for the same candidate, would that have made you feel better? Like to me, that doesn't do anything. But if the symbolism of it matters, then that's something that we could do. Here's the thing I saw. There were four candidates. Now the guy I liked the best didn't win. He didn't even get second. And that was Al Mohler, for those who are interested in what I think. But here's the thing, that Al Mohler and the other two losers, I'm using the air quotes on that, losers, they all said, we're supporting this guy. No one's leaving the denomination. They're all like, we're going to do it. And so there was some contentiousness. The vote came down. But all of the candidates, obviously the winner, and then the three guys who didn't win, are all supporting the winner, which is Litton. We'll talk about him in a second. No one's pulling out. Everyone is pointing to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Right. Who is the author and perfecter of our faith? Jesus. It's not Lytton and it's not even the guy I liked, Moeller. They are not all, even the guy I like, Stone. Well, there you go. It's none of that. We all look to Jesus. And when you have the all of the four candidates saying that at the end, saying, look, we're going to support this guy, and we hope that in a couple of years we're backing him to do it. And the thing I like is where he got criticism from people was people are like, their theology on the Trinity on their church's website (laughs) is off. So, you know, what did this guy do? They fixed their statement of faith. They're like, look, you're right. We did a poor job of expressing that. And I'm going to be clear. When you're talking about the Trinity, it's very easy to mix up a couple of words and go from orthodoxy, to heresy. heresy. It's very it's a it's a short trip when you're talking about the Trinity, because it's a complicated thing. So, But I loved that they called him on what they thought he needed to be called on. He fixed it. Everyone's supporting him. It remains to be seen how good of a president he's going to be. J.D. Greer, I thought, did a phenomenal job of leading the meeting. He was in control. He let people speak when they need to speak. He, I thought he did a great job. And I like a lot of things about J.D. Greer. But we're walking away where everyone, all of the candidates are like, this is the guy who's going to lead us, and we have no issue with
1: that. Right. And that's the way it should be in in any type that that we do and even in church meetings and things like that. We need to walk away with the right attitude. And I believe if we're going to survive as a Southern Baptist, as a denomination, as a convention, we need to to look at those things. And I've heard stories, read many articles, watched a lot of different podcasts and things where people say, oh, the Southern Baptist is finished. The Southern Baptist is far from being finished in my book. Well, I might be wrong. Here's the deal. If they are,
0: that's okay too. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Because we're I'm a Southern Baptist. But before that, I'm a Christian. Right. And while the Southern Baptist denomination may fail, I don't think I agree with you. I don't think it's going to. But right. if it does,
1: I'm then, still a Christian and I'm that's still, not going that, away. That's right. And I'm still a Christian and that's Southern Baptists can be whatever they're gonna be. It's first foremost, we're Christian. So when we look at those things and hear the stories that are being told and listen to these people. And the thing is that I wanted to get across in in our our podcast today was that there was so much at this meeting, so much powerful stuff, but only one or two things took the focus away from all the other stuff. We, as church leaders, need to be
0: above reproach. And part of that means when accusations are brought correctly, they must be considered. When it talks about leaders' accusations coming before them, mm-hmm. it says them that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. Right. That's what it talks about when it talks about church leaders being rebuked. When it talks about, and it says, receive not an accusation unless there be witnesses. So, like, if those accusations are correctly brought, they need to be considered. They need not be pushed under the rug. And to whatever extent the Southern Baptist or the Sovereign Grace or the PCA or the Roman Catholic
1: Church or to what degree any denomination sweeps it under the rug, but that's wrong. And you're absolutely correct. But the Southern Baptists can't sweep it under the rug. Because the Southern Baptist only meets two times a year. They have no, <laughs> no every two years. Right, right, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. they have no authority to do anything about it. The problem with that situation was it was made out to believe that these people covered it up when in actuality it was already exposed. They were just looking at it to set a formal thing for pastors to have to follow. But the leaking of the information. It just took precedence over a lot of the stuff that was going on on the meeting, that critical race theory, you know, it just took away from things like very, very little was talked about, the China thing, on the Uyghur genocide, nobody really took a position on it. And sometimes our name is deceptive.
0: Southern Baptist people think, oh, it's people in the deep south. The Southern Baptists in the last, I think it's five years, maybe off a year or two on that, but in the last five years have started somewhere around 36,000 new congregations Mm -hmm. in that amount of time. Now, if you're starting that many churches, and they're all across the world, things like in China are vitally important to us, and where Christians are persecuted anywhere Christians for justice suffer everywhere. Right. To poorly paraphrase someone who probably needed to be corrected in the way he said. And we said this in a podcast a while back. Our meetings should be different. Right. The way Christians conduct business should be different. And I think that on the whole, it went well for us. I know that my PCA brothers and sisters, they had a great meeting. I know the Lutheran Synod had a great meeting. And I know... That there is unity of the Spirit in all of these places. And that is phenomenal. And that's what I can rejoice in, knowing
1: that there are differences. I know you probably have some closing remarks for your minions. For my minions. Well, first of all, let's set the record straight. I said I was of Mike Stone. My first choice was Randy Adams. <laughs> so his horse didn't even show up. So, So anyway... But yes, for our, our minions, Southern Baptist Association, I, I love being a Southern Baptist. I, I love you know, serving the Lord in this denomination. I think it's, it's got a lot of positive things, but I don't serve the Southern Baptist. I serve right. Jesus Christ. Right. And so I hope that everyone that's listening to us understand that, that first and foremost, Jesus is our denomination. Christianity is who we are. A Southern Baptist comes in sack it. But I want everyone to know that uh, we're here to serve Jesus, most of all. And yes, there's a lot of speculations, a lot of things being said and not said. And there again, it boils down to the point that if you're not involved and connected, then why can you even say anything if you're not willing to do something? It's been great talking to you about
0: this and the fact that even though we supported different candidates, we can still do a podcast together. That's right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> this has been the Nameless Podcast of Castleberry. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the nameless podcast of Castleberry, the show that exists to transform Castleberry by displaying the love of Christ, where we talk about the gospel in everyday language for everyday life. Follow us online at npc.expert and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.